Welcome to the podcast sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Nick Jorgensen with Jorgensen Land and Cattle of Ideal South Dakota. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. Tell me about your operation. First of all, like you said, Nick Jorgensen, the CEO of Jorgensen Land and Cattle in Ideal South Dakota, which is South Central South Dakota, not terribly far from the Nebraska border. Our operation has been in the Jorgensen family since 1909. Uh, that entire time, um, we've lived and operated in northern Tripp County, South Dakota. So I'm the, the fourth generation to come back to the farm. And uh, I'm in business with myself, my cousin Cody, uh, my father Brian, and my uncle Greg. We're the four owners. So there's third and fourth generation ownership and operation today. And then um, the fifth generation is almost back. The the, the oldest uh, Cody is of Cody's sons graduates college next year, and his intent is to come back to the operation. So at that point, we'll be a fifth generation uh, family operation. That's a great story. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. It, it's common in agriculture, really, you know, to to hear about that. But the jump from a second generation operation to a third, only five percent make it that far. Right. You know, we're we're really proud of that legacy. Uh, for sure. And in addition to uh, the family ownership, we've got 30 full-time employees ranging between our, our farming operation, our feedlot and our, our cow calf operation, as well as our hunting lodge. So, you know, just a, a quick summary of all those, uh, our main business is raising and marketing black Angus bulls. Yeah. Uh, we're the largest seed stock producer in the United States which basically means that that we market more bulls than anyone else in the country. Right. Uh, last year it was it was over 5,250 and this year we should exceed 6,000 bulls that we market across the United States. Now does that include your leasing program too? That does. Yep. Oh, okay. uh, as a matter of fact about two thirds of those bulls that we market are marketed through that leasing program and then the, the remainder are, are sold as mature bulls. And in addition to that to that marketing bull marketing program we run about 11, 1,200 cows here in northern Tripp County, all registered black Angus females that the genetics in those herds can be, in that herd can be traced back to when my grandfather started breeding cattle in the 1950s. So, you know, very strong genetic backbone. And that's really what makes our bull marketing program work is, is, is that genetic background and, and the trust in, in the Jorgensen genetics that we offer is, you know, what kind of people know, in addition to that, it's the service of the leasing program that we can offer that, you know, really kind of differentiates us. That's awesome. Take me over to the farming side. Yeah. So we farm between 12 and 13,000 acres here, also in Northern Trip County. We're really lucky to have uh, a pretty tight land base. So we don't do a ton of, you know, traveling. Ah, not farming the road. That's always nice. Yeah, that, that's right. It, it is really, really nice. Uh, very diverse crop rotation. Um, our principal crops really are, are winter wheat and corn, but we also raise spring wheat, oats, alfalfa, soybeans, and then, you know, quite a bit of different forages, millet. We've done triticale. We've raised cane. We put up a lot of grass hay. 
about 75% of those acres, 75 to 80% are dedicated to feed. Right. Right. So we're, you know, we're putting it up either as corn for grain, as silage or as hay that, that goes to our feedlot to, to feed our bulls. You mentioned several forage crops. This is, of course, the Hay Kings podcast. Let's let's dive in on some of those forages. And one thing I suspect you have a really good grasp on is your balance between grains and forages and your feed rations. What, and what I'm fishing for is thoughts on how that balance is going to be going forward. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's interesting how it's changed for us over time. Uh, you know, we used to really... Corn wasn't something that was super prevalent in our diet. I mean, you always have to feed some corn for green. Yep. Um, but aside from that, we we did not put up uh, a lot of corn silage. We relied for years on products like, you know, forage sorghum or cane. Cane is sorghum sudan, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Forage sorghum, sorghum sudan, you know, were really kind of our, our principal forages that we put up you know, almost entirely for silage, just because, you know, products like that are, are really hard to get to dry down. Yep. Right. Um, and so we would, we would chop a lot of that. And, and what we found over time, you know, as it relates to at least corn, it's for us, it, it's just, it's a lot more predictable in its energy value mm-hmm. going into the ration. You know, what's nice about, about cane or forage sorghum or sedan is it's pretty drought resistant. It's pretty hardy. I mean, you know, you're going to get a decent crop ton wise every year. But what really varies is the energy and the protein values in that stuff. We'd have some years where we throw out cane silage that was a 45 megacal, eight, nine, 10% protein silage. And then the next year it would come in, it would come into the bunker at a 30 megacal and a six protein. Ooh, that's a lot of variation. It's a ton of variation. That's really hard to deal with. You know, when you've got 12,000 tons of the stuff and you're trying to plan, you know, a year's worth of, feed needs that that gets to become a a ration building kind of a nightmare for us and you know the nice thing about corn is your tons might vary but pretty pretty confident that you know you're going to have a mega cal in the 40s you know coming out of corn silage and your protein values are going to be seven to eight now it just might in our part of the world it might be five ton corn silage or it might be 15 but at least you know in the ration it's going to work sure no matter what so we've transitioned to putting up a lot more corn silage, but we also are extremely reliant on, on dry forage too, on dry hay. Sure. Um, yeah. You mentioned alfalfa in there. Yep. Uh, we put up a, and we actually do alfalfa for silage. Oh, sure. And for hay. Yep. But we put up a lot of alfalfa hay. Um, historically we've, we've put up a lot of different blends, you know, we've tried pea and oat hay and really for us, it just comes down to if we can get good, good grass hay, just works the best in, in our ration. And so that's what we focus on is, is getting grass hay put up. And then, you know, sometimes millet or, or weed can be a good substitute, mm-hmm. you know, if, if grass supplies are tight. We want to get to some of the equipment that you're running. If you're doing that much silage, you have a big chopper. What kind of chopper are you running? Yeah, we run a class uh, 970. And a whole host of tractors and semi-trucks to move all of that product? Yeah, you know, the, the nice thing... I shouldn't say the nice thing is that's a double-edged sword. Um, in our part of the world, South Central, South Dakota, rainfall is extremely variable. Mm-hmm. We're just right on the edge of the corn belt. And our average rainfall is, you know, 21 inches. But, you know, you might get all that in April and May and not get another <laughs> rain for the rest of the year. Sure. Um, so, you know, just yields for us are are lower. Mm-hmm. 
and they're quite a bit more variable. So we're rarely in a situation where we're dealing with tonnages on any crop over 15 ton. Um, so we don't need quite the truck battery that that you would need. You know, let's just say you're putting up 30 ton corn silage yeah. with a with a chopper like that. Yep. You know, you need eight or nine trucks to keep that thing happy. We can usually get away with even in the heaviest stuff, five to six trucks. Keeps you um, going. Keeps sure. us moving. Yeah. And, you know, a couple packing tractors. Yep. Stuff like that. But, you know, for us, we end up, you know, we end up probably chopping just on our, for our own needs, probably about 20,000 ton. And it just, it, that's, it, it definitely makes sense to have a chopper at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the hay equipment side, what's that look like? As far as uh, cutting and raking equipment goes, um, we actually, we use Klosh triple mowers. Okay. So we've got a set of uh, Klosh disco mowers that we've been running for, we've been running that type of mower for about 10 years. You'd be hard pressed to get me to, to switch companies and, and style of mower. That is just far and away the most efficient, probably the most efficient piece of equipment we have really. And do those have conditioners? No, we actually have opted to have the unit that doesn't have conditioners on it. Uh Uh-huh. Several reasons for that. The biggest one, frankly, was it was just less stuff to work on. (laughs) You know, there's just, there's fewer bearings. There's, there's fewer stuff to go wrong. And in our situation, you know, let's just talk about grass A for a minute. On an average year, we're going to put up between ton and three quarters and two ton dry grass hay. Yep. And we don't have a moisture problem, right? So our hay dries down. You know, sometimes you're running to, it, it, it might stretch alfalfa, putting, getting alfalfa put up right just a little bit. But for us, it's the, the lack of downtime, you know, not having those conditioners has, has made it more than worth it. Sure. And you're laying out a full width windrow, right? That's right. I mean, you're, you're basically going out there like the old style with a sickle mower and you're laying it flat on the just ground. Just laying it right? flat. Yep. So, you know, we can't, we can't hang in a day, so to speak. Right. But, you know, given the right conditions in 48 hours, we can have it all put up. Yeah. Right. You right, know, right. And we've got some stuff on our, our baler that, you know, that helps like with preservative and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those, those triple mowers just are life changing when you, when you go from, you know, you're used to like a, like a bi-directional with, you know, with two windrowers on it, yep. um, you know, where you might be able to, to lay down a quarter of grass hay or alfalfa in a day. <laughs> I love that you think in quarter sections. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we, you can, you can throw out 350, 400 acres a day with those triple mowers if you bear down and just, and keep it running. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. So that's, that's what we run for cutting equipment on the, the raking side. We actually have a class, uh, liner. It's, it's the four, the four barrel, um, you know, turnstile rake type of thing. I, uh, a rotary. That very uh, a rotary rake. Yep. Rotary rake. Yep. yep. And actually it'll, it, we have the, I believe it's the 4,900. So we can actually rake up to 54 feet with that machine. Holy buckets. Yeah. And you know, you, you can't always get away with that. Like, you know, if we're, if we're doing grass, hay, you, you can't have it that wide open because your baler just can't eat that much. <laughs> Correct. But, you know, like to put it, when we're putting up alfalfa silage, for example, and we want to keep that, that 970 full. Yep. You take 54 foot of alfalfa, that, it still doesn't keep it full, but, you know, you're, you're pumping out a lot of tons through that machine. That's uh, 50, 54 foot of 
maybe yeah it's either 52 or 54 i okay. can't remember for sure but it's 50 plus yeah and you're you're putting maybe two ton alfalfa into a 54 foot wow that's you'd think that'd keep most choppers happy yeah and you know from a wet perspective it's actually probably more like you know five ton wet five to six ton wet right right and you can make a big windrow um, that's pretty cool <laughs> that, yeah, it's, that's it, just cool it's it, you can get in and out. You can get in and out of a quarter of alfalfa with that setup. You know, three to four hours. You can have the whole thing done. Wow, that's so. You know, from an efficiency amazing. perspective, it just, especially you know, when it comes to alfalfa silage, it's it's really critical that you get the timing on that right. Because if you put it up too dry, or, you know, too wet, and you start to have bacterial problems in your yep in your feed and too dry, and you know, it loses all its value. Yep. So there's a there's a pretty small window in there that you've you've got to get in there and, and do it right, and that's kind of what we're shooting for. It's just amazing the scale of the equipment, and you're talking about knocking out quarter sections in half a day. That's mm-hmm. phenomenal scale. Yeah, well, it's 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 fun to watch, you know. Um, oh, silage is one of my favorite things. Oh, mine too. And you know, we don't do it because it's fun. It's just you you do it because it's you know a piece of equipment like a silage shopper, I mean, it's, you're, you're $1,200 an hour in cost and to run one of them things. Right. And so, you know, the, the more, the more feed we can run through that and the, the shorter amount of time we can actually have it turned on doing something, the putting better. feed up, yeah. the better it is for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we also, on the raking side, we also just, this last year invested in a second rake, just a, just a Vermeer, our, I think our 2800, um, the reason we did that was because we we've got two balers going, and you know one rake can't stay in front of two good balers. So mm-hmm. uh, a basket rake, I just a you. basket rake. Yep. yep, you'd use that on grass hay in front of a round baler or something like that. That's correct. Yep, that is correct. The other reason we didn't, you know, we didn't go with uh, another big class rotary rake is just those are really really nice, like in in farm fields, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. Where you got terrain that, that you're very familiar with. It's, it's been worked historically, right? So yep. the ground is smooth. There's not a lot of obstructions. Yep. They struggle a little bit more when you're trying to rake, you know, uneven 35 surfaces. to 50 feet on uneven surfaces. And yeah. You just run a lot more risk of damage and I'm running them through a draw and stuff like that. Yep. So we still use it, you know, to put up grass. Hay. It's just, you got to be really selective about where you do it. But a basket rake that's not, that's not as wide and that's, yep. that's on purpose, right? That, that is on purpose. Yeah. That, that pulls, uh, that doesn't make, I mean, you'd, you'd never get a uh, 54 foot of windrow into hardly any baler. Even yeah. If, if you do, you're in a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's going to be a really bad drought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the other, the other thing about it, you know, very candidly is yeah, a basket rake. They're really simple to operate, right? Yep. You can put them on a, any old tractor and, and go out. You cannot do that with uh, with a class rotary rake. I mean, it takes horsepower. Yep. It takes someone that knows what they're doing. Because if you've ever sat in the cab with one of the machines, they're like running a spaceship. <laughs> uh, can, can you take us through why it's a spaceship? You know, it's it's not just hydraulics. There's a control panel, um, and you know, there's a, if you're familiar with class equipment, you know, with it being European, you know engineered European there's just a lot of differences in the way they design monitors say what we'd be used to to like a like a John Deere type yeah. of monitor yep um, so there's a learning curve on a chopper or, or a rake like that and it does take special hydraulic hookups um, that I can't even really explain um, there's just certain type there's a certain type of setup you've got to have to make it work you just can't put it on any old tractor and go now that 
Vermeer R2800. That one you can just put on any old tractor. Absolutely. And now you have to, there's probably some considerations around weight and horsepower and hydraulic flow, but just like even a 4040, uh, 4440 John Deere, if we go back yep. a little ways, that'll run one of those no trouble. That's correct. The other thing, the other issue that, you know, we, we deal with is with that big rake, we're generally trying to run it with auto steer. Yep. Um, just because, you know, we want to make, we got the mowers on auto steer, we're running the rake on auto steer and the, the chopper, you know, as well, it enables us to run auto steer in there if we feel so inclined. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, you can't do that on a 4440 either. Right. Right. But then on the, on the bailing side, um, currently we own a Vermeer ZR5. Um, we purchased that, uh, last summer and put it through about three quarters of a season. And last year we actually also ran a Vermeer 604 pro. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're silage baler that has the pre-cutter on it. Yep. And that was actually the main reason we purchased it was for the, for the pre-cutting functionality. Mm -hmm. um, Cause historically we've, we've liked having pre-cut hay um, in our feedlot because we run vertical mixers that oh, have, yeah. you know, knives on them. So it cuts a hay grinder out of the process effectively what it does yep. when you have it pre-cut like that. So we ran that baler um, last summer, and actually we we traded it off, and we're going to run just a just a standard six hundred five baler this year. Ah, so going a little wider. Not now with a six hundred five, you're not thinking silage with that. No, and we weren't actually we weren't actually putting up silage bales with uh, that six hundred four pro. Right, they were regular grass hay bales that we're putting preservative on, so you know you can go up to twenty eight percent if you want. Right, um, right. But the whole reason we got that model is because it's the only one that Vermeer offers that has a pre-cutter on it. And the, the, the bales would pack nice. I mean, they were smaller because you're running a four-foot bale there. Yep. But they were they came out weighing as much as a five-foot bale. So that part of it was really, really nice. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. My name is Rob Flowers. I live in Whitesboro, Texas. The 604R premium efficiency level is through the roof. Dependability and durability on the 604R has been outstanding. We've had zero chain issues, zero bearing issues. The camless pickup has been phenomenal. And at the end of the day, that gives me more time to go home and be with my family, prepare for the next day, get more done. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. Now, you mentioned that ZR5. Yep. That's, I mean, the self-propelled round baler is is cool. I really, mm -hmm. I like the design. What's your review? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Several years ago, man, I don't know, it might've been four years ago when they were first kind of prototyping that Baylor. Yep. Um, we actually had the opportunity to, to run it. Um, the, our, our Butler's our, our cat store, Vermeer store, Butler and Pier, South Dakota had one that there was touring around, brought it down to our place. We ran it for an afternoon and, you know, it was at that point, at least in my eyes, it became pretty obvious that we would benefit from one. S several things that kind of made my mind up about it. The first one is, well, it's it's an all-in-one unit, right? When you you buy a machine like that, you're not just buying a baler, but you're also buying a tractor. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, there's there's some economics that go into, you know, the, the total cost of a ZR5 compared to the total cost of a regular baler in the tractor that it's going to be on. Yeah. And, and for us, it was actually net net. It was cheaper 
understanding that, you know, we're not going to get full utilization out of that tractor for 12 months out of the year. It might only be for six. Yep. It still made more sense for us to just to go ahead and, and go for that self-propelled unit. And basically what it did for us was it added a tractor to our, to our fleet, mm-hmm. right? Freed one up. Yep. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the, that the high level economics, you know, as far as, as performance goes, like I said, when I, when we had it out to, to demo it three or four years ago, I mean, the, the first and most obvious thing was, man, they are efficient, right? You can sit in there in that cab and the right field conditions, you're bailing it at 12 mile an hour. Hey, Oh, that's moving and, right yeah. along. <laughs> and when you're moving along, then you, now listen, I'm not going to advertise that you can do that all the time. Right. Right. But when if the you're talking about, right, if you're talking about pastures where it's rougher, smaller yep. fields, you're just not going to make that. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. That's tougher. But when the conditions are right and you're in the right place, you can really, really cover some ground. So, you know, that was, that was a big benefit. And you know what? Personally, I can't, I can't say, you know, how much of that has to do with it. Cause it's just a regular 605 baler, right? Right. Yep. Basically just attached to the tractor. Um, it's been a long time since we have ran Vermeer balers until these last couple we've bought. We were, we ran John Deere balers. We ran New Holland balers for years since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I can't say that that change in efficiency is is just going from a different company's baler to a, to a Vermeer baler mm-hmm. or if it's going from a pull type Vermeer to a ZR five. Now I've got a little bit of experience there because we ran the 604 pro yep. against, you know, the ZR five last year. And we, we did see that ZR five was more efficient. It would get more done. And I, I, th- I think a lot of it just has to do with, you can even go a little bit faster just condition wise because even in a smooth field, sitting yep. in the cab of a tractor, you're going to get bounced around a little bit. And that just doesn't happen in a ZR5. That that speaks to the operator comfort, right? Operator comfort. I mean, that's a operator comfort in that rig throughout, throughout. Um, you know, you can tell they focused on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've just got the cab where you're not bouncing around as much. You know, the other benefit is you're not turning your head all stinking day long, right? Because that, yep. that baler is right beneath you. You've got a camera looking down on your pickup. So, you know, if you, you know, you're looking forward, Yep. which, which makes a difference. And then the other one too, and I, I can't, I can't state this exactly, exactly like down to the second, but your, your wrap time. So we're, we're net wrapping all of our, yep. of our bales, your, your, your time from stop to start on a wrap cycle is faster on a ZR5. Hmm. And you know, that, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you cut, you know, let's just say you cut five seconds off a wrap cycle. Oh yeah, and you're making you're making three hundred or four hundred bales a day with a machine like that. Yep. You know that that's that's a couple hours. Right. That you're that you're not sitting. So that that faster wrap cycle is really 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 nice in my opinion. And then that you know the the auto stop and turn feature for us yep. has really added to efficiency as well because the main way we pick up our hay is with a with a Farm King. 14 bale, you know, dual arm hauler behind a tractor. Yep. And when they're turned sideways, you know, you're just going up and down the field. Right. It, in the direction that everything was cut and laid out. So if there's any ruts, yep. you're not bouncing across them, you're going with them. All of those things, right? Yep, that's correct. And, you know, we've, we actually, on our, 
not the last John Deere baler that we ran before these Vermeers, but the model before we actually had one that had the, the accumulator on it. Oh, um, yep. Where, you know, where you could accumulate three bales yep. per when you actually dropped them. Yep. And, you know, the idea there was it would be more efficient to go pick them up. Well, what we actually found was it was less. Really? Because so, so, and it all goes down to the equipment we're using, you know, with that, with the farm King yep. um, bale hauler like that, you've got cycle time on that arm. And what we found out was you were limited by the cycle time on that arm Yep. where you're just, you're sitting there. All right. I'm not waiting to go get to a bale. I'm waiting for this arm to move. Ah, uh, yep. And then the other thing we'd find is if you didn't have those bales lined up perfectly straight, uh, yeah, you know, take a, a perfectly couple shots straight line, yeah. you got to take a couple of shots and you're backing up and you're moving around. Yeah. That and sounds so terrible. It was actually, it was a, it was a downside having them stacked so close together like that. Yep. You know, whereas you just take a baler and you turn that thing sideways and they're spaced out every, you know, 150, 200 yards. Yep. You're moving. Gives time for the arms to go up and down on the the bale loader. Yep. Yep. And you got time to adjust. Um, Just all around, it's it's a better deal. The other thing that, um, you know, I I really like about the design of that machine is when you have nothing in front of you, you know, you've got that wide windshield. You're looking straight down at the ground. We actually... We put we put preservative on all of our our hay, mm-hmm. uh, a non acid preservative. Yep. We had a lot of space to to mount a tank on the front of that machine and still not obstruct a ton of vision. Ah, uh-huh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Easy for tank mounting and and for all the gauges and stuff we need for that. It was it was very easy to set all that up. Really, the the whole setup was just a lot easier because traditionally when you run around preservative, ours is kind of a it's a higher dose. You know, you're putting about eight, 10 pounds a ton on. Oh, sure. And so it takes a big tank, mm-hmm. which generally means you got to mount that thing on the front of the tractor. Well, then you're running hoses all the way underneath the tractor and you got wiring going everywhere. Uh, this yep. is just, this is just a, a tank, three or four foot of hose back to the pickup and you're good to go. Ah, uh, that's better for sure. And then, you know, the, the standard stuff, the, the integrated moisture monitor, which you're going to get on any Vermeer baler is just really, really nice, especially when you're running preservative because you can, yep. you know, dial it in off that. And then the scales too. Scales are, are really, really nice. We, we really appreciate that. You know, when you're putting up, let's just say 15 to 18,000 bales a year with a machine like that, yep. um, for inventory purposes, it is really, really nice to know that my bales weigh 1700 pounds and not 14. Oh yeah. Again, that's a big, a big difference. Yeah. A small change in that bale weight is like a small change in the net wrap cycle time. It really adds yep. up. It does add up. But, you know, when you're just talking about that, that many reps, yep. you know, that many bales, it's a little stuff like that that starts to make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. What was the learning curve when you transitioned from the standard baler to the ZR5? There is not much of a learning curve, to tell you the honest and honest truth, other than just, you know, maybe getting used to a couple different bells and whistles in the cab you know going from say a john deere tractor that's pulling that baler you know we're used to the tractor operation of a, of a john deere tractor that's what we run on our operation to a wholly different kind of cab i mean there's just a learning curve on the controls and stuff like that um but you know as as far as baler operation and stuff goes when that when that unit showed up you know vermeer and our dealer came down for an afternoon just to you know make sure all the bugs kind of got out of the thing yep uh, but once we got the bugs out, um, there there was not much of a learning curve to that baler. If you know how to run a baler, you're not going to have any trouble running a ZR5. And then how soon after running the 
ZR5, after starting to run that ZR5, did you see the difference in productivity and efficiency? So we ran the ZR5 and this and our other 604 Pro largely together. So, I mean, the, the difference was immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you had a perfect case study there of running two different types of baler in the same field on the same crop. Yep. Um, where we could really, we could really tell, tell the difference. Uh, in your conditions, have you got to the point where you needed to replace the sides in the baler? No. Okay. Not yet. Do you think you, like that seems to me to be a really cool feature to have replaceable sides, like a round yeah. baler with wear parts is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and you know we we talked about it. The other the other really cool thing about that baler is you know it's a self propelled deal. It's all it's all one unit. It is surprisingly easy to get that chamber out of that baler. Huh? Surprisingly easy. I mean, it's I've never had to do it. I've I've watched the team do it. And so, you know, the other nice thing about the life of that machine is, you know, we want to talk about when that, you know, let's just say you get 25, 30,000 bales on it and you're, you're faced with, all right, I either need to replace the wear parts or I need to get a new unit. Trade up. Yep. You just, you keep the, you keep the power unit, you drop the baler out and they send you a new chamber and you just hook up and, and go. That's pretty cool. Right. So from like a trade perspective, even when you think about the, the unit you actually need to, tr- to trade regularly. It's actually the, the chamber itself is more affordable than buying a new pull type because you don't have the chassis, you know, you don't have all that additional stuff. You're literally just buying the chamber. So what we're talking about here, Vermeer responding to the difference between the emissions components that uh, the engine and emission components that really don't wear out. There's mm-hmm. there aren't really bad engines anymore. On the occasion, yep. there's manufacturer problems or defects or bad serial yeah. number lots or what, whatever, right? But by and large, there's no bad engines anymore. Yep. Other than, you know, like, you know, what you'll find, and we see this just with any newer newer tractors, your engine's fine. Your transmission, you know, the actual, the hardware, if you will, of the, of the tractor yep. stays fine. What you generally end up dealing with is is your electronics start to wear out. Yep. You know, that's, that's, that's the risk and not to, not to counter your point there, but you don't, engines don't give out. We don't have that happen. Yeah. Very rare. It's more of, Hey, I've got wiring problems now that I've got to deal with. Um, but, but you're hundred percent right is they've separated that to where we effectively, you know, you, you don't have to trade that tractor every two to three years with it. You keep that as long as it stays good. As long as you're comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, in a, in a limited use situation like that where, you know, we're only running that thing from May 1st to September 1st or yep. maybe October 1st if we're putting up yeah. stocks, yep. you know, you're just, you're not putting that many hours on it. And the tractor lasts a long time. Yeah. But that, swap the chamber out and That separates going. the, the, well, I said earlier, you have two components to the machine, the one that's designed and regulated by the government and then the rest of the machine. Yep. That, that design pretty well separates those two components. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yep, I agree. That's, boy, that just seems to me to be the way the industry needs to go. Yeah, you wanna you wanna know what 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 I think would be would be cool, and this is just me, you know, thinking about a way to to make an investment in a in a unit like that even more effective. Yeah. 
is, you know, we're using that thing from May 1st to, like I said, you know, September, October 1st, and then we park it. And if you really wanted to sit down and talk about, you know, what we could do to utilize that machine year round, the way they made that chamber removable, it just, it'd be cool, you know, if someone came up with the idea of mounting a snowblower or something, you know, <laughs> right. thing. so you can, you can unhook the bear and, and, and hook something yeah. else on and, and, you know, figure out some, some way to make use of that power unit that, you know, really is built to just kind of plug and play with the tool they built for it. Yep. You know, it'd just be neat if there was another tool that you could plug and play with it so you could make use of it. But definitely hmm. not definitely not a requirement. Yeah, right, right. That's a very purpose-built piece of equipment. Yeah. Yep. What would you say to hay producers who have looked into the ZR5 for their operation, but they're still on the fence about it? To me, it comes down to economics, Yep. right? But if you're to that point, right? So if you're already to that point and you're debating to yourself, hey, should I, should I run a pole type or you know, get a ZR5. In my opinion, ZR5 is just, it's a more efficient machine. And, you know, a big part of that is operator comfort, which sounds kind of silly, right? Like, why would I make a decision on comfort? But when you, <laughs> when you've got a, a member of your team asked to sit in that baler for 60 or 90 or 120 days straight, yeah, not having your neck turned around seven hours a day makes a huge difference. Makes it, it makes an efficiency difference. Yeah. Like you will get more done because you're more likely to keep someone in the cab. Yep. Right. And just keep that machine doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's a, it's a quality of life component too, for your operators. I mean, there's yep. just a whole host of reasons. Absolutely. And it, yep. And it, it quality of life and it manifests in my opinion, ultimately as efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that just, you know, I, I think we noticed just observationally is with that improved view of the ground, you know, in front of that ZR5, you have, we had less instances, and I'm not going to say we didn't have any instances, but we had less instances of damage occurring to that pickup, right? Because you're... Because you're looking right down on it. You're looking right down. You can see rocks. You can see... Yep fence posts or any other objects. The other thing too, that I, I think makes a difference is the way having that unit actually physically attached to you, right? Where you're operating on the same plane yep. all the time, you're less likely to have damage going through a draw because, uh, you know, the sure. first, the first question and the first thing about it is, is, you know, when you go through a draw with a pull type baler, you get inverted for a second. You're going a different direction than that baler is. Yep. It actually happens. It happens twice. Yep. And on a deal like this, you, you you don't have that inversion. And then the second part is is you feel it more, right? You feel exactly what that baler feels. So that operator, as he slows down, you know, there's no leg there. You're right on top of – you're slowing down at the perfect yeah. point. Be- because you know, there's not that with, leg. A, with the space between the tractor and the baler, there's – there's a lag between what the operator is experiencing and what yep. the baler is experiencing. That's that, correct. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying there. That makes yeah. good sense to me. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other one too, and I, I didn't mention this before, but I mean, think about safety as well. You know, when you're dealing with a pull type baler, you've got that four or five foot long PTO shaft. Yep. That's exposed. Yep. Right. Whereas on this machine, you don't have that. Yeah. You don't have it. You know, there's no, there's fewer, there's fewer places for you to go and, and do something stupid and get hurt. Yeah. And I ain't saying it's not possible because you still could. Oh yeah. Of right? course. You got to know what you're doing. Yep. Right. But, and then, you know, that also comes along with, you know, PTO shafts get bent. 
stuff U- happens. Universal joints tight. fail, drawbar yep. pins come out. <laughs> yeah. Does, does it sound like I've done happens. this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. I, you know, and then I just said, I hate to do this to your, to your audio guy, but you know, it's just, it's hitting me as we sit here and talk, you know, the other efficiency benefit is on a machine like that, your zero turn radius makes a big difference too. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, if you've run a self-propelled swather, you've, you understand, you know, the what, difference, you know, yep. the difference between a pull behind and a self-propelled, it is so much more nimble, agile. Yep. And, and again, you have all those same benefits, of looking ahead of you, not having your neck cranked, uh, being on the same plane, and especially with a swather going through the dip where you want your header to rock back a little bit so you're not digging uh-huh. into the ground, all of those same concepts apply, right? Yep. So it's it's very analogous from going to a, from a going, rather, very analogous going from a pull-type swather to a self-propelled swather. You get a lot of yes. the same benefits. Absolutely. Nick, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed uh, your, your candor here and getting a real boots on the ground uh, review of the products. Oh, I'm happy to do it. You know, it's it's uh, especially when you're talking about newer products like this, right? Where yep. not a lot of people have had the opportunity to to be around them or operate them. You know, I it they just they need to know the truth. All matters are the truth about how those machines work. Right. So you, when you're making a decision about whether or not to use one, you've, you've heard as many criticisms and advantages of the machine as, as you can gather. Right. So, you know, yeah. you're making a good decision. So I'm, I'm happy to share that information. The other component here is your size and scale is truly unique and being able to truly test a machine like that in a fairly short amount of time. We're not, it, it doesn't take you years to wear out a piece of equipment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish it did. <laughs> uh, so I, I really appreciate that. And then your family story is something special too. Getting ready to bring the fifth generation back on—that's that's amazing. So yeah, something congrats. we're something we're really really proud of. As you should be. That's something that just very few operations get to get to say. That's cool. Thank you very, so very much for your time. I've really appreciated the conversation. Glad to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you to Vermeer for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you to Nick Palmieri at Palmieri Studios for doing all of our audio editing. And thank you to Jessica Palmieri for doing our social media coordination. Mm-hmm.